in the Bible, God speaks to us and teaches us through wise commands, wonderful stories, remarkable promises, and also by instructive themes. For example, dust and ashes. That's a theme in Scripture. And you'd be surprised what you can learn about yourself and about God <coughs> from the Bible in this matter of dust and ashes. And over the next uh, month, as I have opportunity to preach before Andrew was back at full capacity, I want to explore this biblical theme and discover how man came from the dust, returns to dust, is saved from the dust, and will one day be raised from the dust. Abraham said to God, I am but dust and ashes. And that was the truth. Now, so we begin this morning at the beginning in Genesis 2. Uh, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2. Listen carefully for some dusty references uh, in this text. Book of Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created <clears throat> in the day that the Lord made them the heavens, um, the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the fields had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land um, and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. <clears throat> there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge and good of evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. <clears throat> well, in, um, in chapter 1, if I could make this... Um, we're given... Um, of Genesis 1, we're given this day-by-day description of creation. Day 1, day 2, and so forth. While Genesis chapter 2 focuses on the description of the relationships between man and mankind and God and mankind and earth. That's what Genesis 2 is all about. It's about relationships. And um, in the um, seventh Verse, we have the relationship between God and man introduced. Genesis 2 7. And the Lord God formed the man, <coughs> formed uh, uh, the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God formed man out of the dust of the ground in the same manner in which he created all plant and and animal life as well. Um, Now, of course, the ground itself, uh, uh, the dust, the dirt, was created absolutely, like everything else, absolutely ex nihilo, or out of nothing. That's to say it was created um, instantly, uh, as the uh, Genesis 1 teaches this, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us the work of creation is God making all things out of nothing, by the word of his power in a space of six days and all very good. Um, well, that gives me an opportunity to inflict upon you uh, my account of the, the man-making contest. Uh, for those of you not had the pleasure. Um, so there was once a man and um, he, was, um, he had no respect for creation and very little respect for God. And, uh, and so he says, oh, gosh. To God, he says, touch. <laughs> you say man is the crown of creation. Anybody can make a man. I could make a man. In fact, let's have a man-making contest. And um, the Lord agrees to this, hiding his smiles. And, um, and uh, on the count of three, the man reaches down and, and uh, scoops up some earth and starts manipulating. The Lord says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, stop. You've got to get your own dirt. 
You see, those who, who reject um, the Bible doctrine of special creation cannot begin with pre-existing primordial ooze or seawater or amino acids or ultraviolet light or some sort of electrical discharge or anything else. They have to start with absolutely nothing. And unless my logic is faulty, you can't make nothing or you can't make anything out of nothing. You can't make nothing out of nothing. But God, who himself is presupposed in Scripture, creates a substance um, out, of a wor- out of the world, out of nothing. And by the word of his mouth, that's the starting point. And only God can do that. Um, <clears throat> so he forms the, the man from the, that substance or dirt or the dust of the ground is described in that text. We're essentially dust um, in, in this text. Uh, however, and I think this is really the important point. God wants us to see the great distinction uh, between himself and us, between the creator and, and the creature. Uh, and that's very important because our great problem is our great pride. And, and it's fallen nature of, of man to, to try to erase that creator-creature distinction, to try to suppress that innate knowledge within each of us uh, that, in fact, uh, we're not God and he is. It's our, it's our proud folly to ever seek to, to proudly lay hold of everything and to deny the act of creation, to deny God himself. And we conveniently forget our most deliberately humble origin. That God made us from the dust of the ground. But you see, you and I are more apt to, um, to behave like that sort of homeless, penniless beggar who you find on the streets and you invite to come into your household as a guest. But you know, it isn't long before uh, he begins to make himself quite at home with everything in the house. Until one day, uh, you walk into the kitchen and you find him casually... Uh, uh, chewing on a fat drumstick from a chicken, which he's helped himself to out of the refrigerator. And, um, and then he turns to you, the host and benefactor, and says, Now, who are you again? That's a great illustration, isn't it? That's a, that's a Jack Miller illustration. But, but you see, it's, a way that, um, it's the way it is between sinful man and his creator. The creature... The created dust of the earth is not only freeloading uh, on the creator God by his grace, but trying to displace him in our hearts and lives and reject his rule over our lives. <clears throat> but let me hasten to continue and, uh, and say that if the seventh verse speaks about our humble bodily origin, and it does, it also shows us about the spiritual glory of our most remarkable spiritual life. If God humbles us by drawing us up from the dust of the ground to create our physical bodies, he then proceeds to honor us with an eternal soul. Verse 7 again. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. We never anywhere read that God breathes the breath of life into plants or animals, because he doesn't. They're not, 
they are not made to be living things. Well, they are made to be living things, to be sure, but they are not endued with God's breath of life. Only mankind, um, only mankind receives the breath of life and becomes a, a nefesh chaya, a, a, a living creature, a living being, a living soul. Um, in the brief Genesis account that we have, um, we read, so God created man in his own image. <clears throat> in the image of God, he created a male and female. He created him. So, what is this, this image of God? Well, of course, that's a, a little bit of a mystery and something of which tons of books have been written. <laughs> but um, at the very least, uh, it is part, um, in part at least, it's the existence of a living eternal soul which I believe is actually described here in Genesis 2 as the breath of life. It's the, it's the breath of God within us that gives us eternal souls. It's certainly part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Now, I probably need to admit to you that there are many theologians and commentators who disagree with this uh, interpretation and insist that the breath of God uh, given here is nothing more than the, than the life-giving element to an otherwise purely physical body of creation. But, but I disagree with that. Uh, I believe that the breathing of the breath of life by God symbolizes the enduing of mankind with an eternal element that it, at least is a part of the image of God. I believe it's the soul. Uh, the writer to Ecclesiastes, I think, is poetically speaking of this very thing when he says, He, God, created everything in its time, beautiful in its time, also, he put eternity in the hearts of men. But especially, that's the soul, I think. But especially, let it be, uh, be noted that God speaks directly to man. Um, he enters into a special relationship with mankind. And that needs to be clearly understood, too. Um, verse 15, reading from the text. Uh, look at your text, Genesis 2, 15. Uh, the Lord God uh, took the man and put it in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You um, uh, shall, may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of, the, of, um, the, of good and evil, um, you shall not eat. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, a very great deal could be said about these verses as well. Um, I'm going to come back to them in a moment, but let it suffice right now, uh, to simply observe the obvious fact that God speaks, that God communicates with Adam in the manner that Adam understands, uh, such a simple, obvious thing, but it's, it's so important. Um, <clears throat> in speaking to him, God enters into covenant relationship with Adam, making him a responsible party while styling himself as a personal God and entering into a personal relationship with mankind. God does not speak to carrots and pumpkins and squirrels and make a covenant with them, informing them of their responsibility toward him and making some sort of personal relationship with himself and them. Carrots and pumpkins and squirrels have no eternal soul and are simply hardwired or programmed, if you will, to seed themselves, to reproduce, to grow, to die or to be eaten. And that is their, their purpose and unvarying cycle of life. 
Um, but with mankind, and mankind alone, God enters into uh, this remarkable and responsible relationship, even communicating with Adam with understandable words. God speaking with man. Um, that is a huge offense, by the way, to modern theologians. That's some big problem with a personal God. Uh, I, I don't understand that, but... At any rate, in the next chapter, verse 8, uh, we see the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day in, in a manner that, that gives us um, to believe that that was an habitual thing, coming down to, to talk with Adam and Eve. Uh, brothers and sisters, as sons of, uh, and daughters of Adam, God has given us this unique privilege of knowing him. He reveals something of himself uh, through his, his amazing creation, uh, suggesting to us as we look at it that he's wise and powerful and divine. But more than that, he communicates us, with us through his word, which caused to be written down by men and preserved for us. And all this makes it possible for us to worship and enjoy God, our creator. God gives us dignity and purpose in this life. And and, and, and personally relates to us. Uh, God is not simply some sort of impersonal force, uh, but a personal God who in some mysterious way even dwells within our hearts of regenerated or saved people and demonstrates great love for us, breaking into our lives uh, in different ways. So, um, uh, that's the first thing we discover in Genesis chapter 2. The remarkable, happy relationship that God establishes between himself and, and mankind. Uh, but the second thing that we can find in this verse is the relationship that God also establishes between ourselves and the rest of creation. He's established a relationship between himself and God, but now he also establishes a relationship between us and the rest of, of creation. Um, and once again, we're talking about dust. God made us in the dust of the earth and we're given to a life of labor in the dust of the earth. Now, look at verse 15 in Genesis 2, 8 uh, and 15. And the Lord God planted the Garden of Eden in the east and put there the man whom he had formed. And again in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden and even to work it and to keep it. To put this together with Genesis 1, 28, 29, where we read, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air uh, the birds of heaven and everything over every living creature that moves on the earth. And the Lord God said, Behold, I have given you every living plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. Later on in Genesis 9, he also gives animal life to men for food as well. But the point is this, that rocks and dirt and animals and plant life are given into the hand of mankind for his use and for his labor. And we should have no doubt uh, that Adam's labors in the garden, uh, working it and keeping it, tending the plants and trees, was a great blessing and a great joy. 
That sweat of the brow stuff and the thorns and the thistles, that all came later with the fall. The ordinance of labor that God gave to Adam and Eve is a creation ordinance that came at that time. And it was no burden. It was a great blessing and a great means of glorifying God. It was pleasing. Uh, and God was pleased with their work and, and, and it dignified their labors. It must have been a great pleasure for Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve to rise up each day and begin their, their labors in the garden, exercising creative abilities and handiwork. And, and, uh, and I don't doubt that Adam and Eve awaited with anticipation the opportunity to show the Lord the, the fruit of their labors and to feel God's pleasure. You know, you can almost see Adam saying, you know, Lord, you know, Eve is so smart. She's a scientist. She, she just discovered this, this animal. You can ride it. And, and you can make it do stuff, pull things, you know. This is great. You are amazing, Lord. So that sort of thing. I'm just imagining. But, um, and you and I should still find pleasure in our work. But Adam was also to <clears throat> exercise good stewardship uh, over creation that God gave them charge. In some manner, it was disorganized. In some manner, it needed their hand. Um, uh, so the command to fill the earth and subdue it was a call to exercise wise and creative use of, of the earth's resources. Uh, it was not to rape the earth, but to, to bless the earth and organize. You know, the, there's, I have this hobby of, um, of, of collecting, of, of identifying mushrooms. I, I love to identify mushrooms, and I love the Latin names of these things. And, and, and because, and I think it's something primal, you know, it's just to find, to name things. Oh, there's a perfect example of, uh, you know, Morellas, or, 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 you know, there's a, here's a... Here's a, um, you know, something else, you know. They're all, it's great. But it's something that within us that we, that we want to do uh, to, to, um, to exercise that, that creation ordinance. Um, his dominion on the earth was to be exercised with an overarching desire to, to honor and to make, uh, to make God's, God's name great. And to glorify him, to, to bring order and, and, and uh, out of the presumed disorder around them. And to copy God, to ape God, if you will, to copy God by taking these raw materials of the ground and turning them into things of beauty and profit. Uh, Adam, <clears throat> like his heavenly father, was to take the earth, uh, the, uh, the dust of the earth, and make good and useful things. Uh, um, for which his heart and the heart of his offspring would, would give glory to God. In the same way uh, that, an, that the obedient, godly man looks at, at the wild beauty of a mountain range and praises God. I think so you and I, should, living in Salem County, should look out over these, some of these beautiful, well-cultivated uh, well fields full of corn and soybean and and, and, and potatoes, and, and also a, a hand-sculpted wooden bowl or, or a nuclear reactor capable of producing power, fuel for the needs of hundreds of thousands of homes. Now, we don't actually create anything. God is the only creator. There's a special word in the Bible for create God's creation, bara. Only God baras. We don't bara. 
we just take the things that he brought and, 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 and do something wonderful with them um, and to bring glory of God. That's the purpose of labor, to glorify God. That's why God put man in the garden, to dress it, to improve the labor of his hands. Well, one last thing. <clears throat> uh, Genesis 2 also reveals our relationship um, with one another, uh, with relationship with God, relationship with creation as a whole, and more specifically with one another. Uh, we're happy to be with God, we're happy with our work, and we're to be happy with one another. Um, every creature, uh, as you look at the text um, that God made, had a mate. It had the ability to reproduce after its kind, and and this would be the case with Adam as well. But he does so in the case of Adam in a manner that's calculated to give Adam a great appreciation for his wife and for womankind as a whole and to uh, cherish uh, that, particularly out of his loneliness and need and, and also providing for him in, in such a unique manner. So you see, having sort of paraded all of the animals in front of him, you know, they all pass by and he starts giving them names. Um, having something of that manner, uh, he becomes aware that there's nothing um, for him. Uh, there's nothing that corresponds uh, to him. And, um, and, and so, God is really prepared by that. Um, Adam is prepared by that uh, for something that he would, he would value and something he would cherish uh, uh, someone whom God would give him who would correspond to him. Someone very like him, but not completely like him. Uh, someone to be with him as a companion to complete him. And so God uh, provides the woman. <clears throat> and Adam is ecstatic uh, with, this, uh, with this new creation. But here we see a great difference. The woman, unlike everything else in the world, does not come directly from the dust of the earth, but from the rib of man. Now, there may be a certain poetic description to this, uh, and maybe not to be thought of too clinically. Uh, Matthew Henry uh, writes that the woman was made from the rib, not from the head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him or by him, uh, but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be beloved. Uh, so God's purpose in verses 21 and 22 is not to entertain us with, with whimsy, um, but to, to make an important point uh, that uh, this woman comes um, as separate and comes out not from the earth directly, but from the man. Uh, I understand the, the woman being taken from the rib as opposed to uh, to being directly taken uh, from the ground is God's purpose to underscore to Adam and to us not only to not only the honor to be accorded the woman, but especially the inseparable unity and fellowship uh, that is to characterize the relationship between the man and the woman. Uh, the the formation for the rib expresses also perhaps the deep spiritual and corporate unity between a man and his wife. Uh, she doesn't simply come from the dust of the ground, 
but from the man himself. Equal in every essence, and equally beloved of God, and equally in need of a Savior. But I want to suggest to you that the formation of the woman here in Genesis 2 is not to be stood, uh, understood exclusively as a relate, referring to the relationship between husband and wife, but also to address um, the, the, the larger issue of the sanctity of the family and the happiness and security of a culture that honors the right, a right respectful relationship between men and women of every sort, in station and condition, married, single, widowed, divorced. This is where every other human relationship begins, and God wants us to see it as close and harmonious. Just as there must be unity and love and respect between a man and his wife, so it must be the case also in other relationships. Just as Adam needs to treat his wife, uh, who is taken from his own body with the unique respect and tenderness that he might not be required to show to the rest of creation, so you and I, uh, there is to be a certain respect and tenderness to be accorded uh, to each man and each fellow man and woman. And, and where there's bickering in the church or among neighbors or workmates or the family at large or between men and women at large, uh, that is clearly uh, not from God, not his intention or design laid out in Genesis 2. So happy with God, happy in our work, happy with one another. That's a pretty tough assignment. But there it all is in Genesis 2. I did not write this. And my next installment, <clears throat> next Sunday evening, for the second look at the biblical theme of dust and ashes, will turn to um, uh, chapter 3 and, and the fall of Adam and his ignominious return to dust. Uh, that being our utter failure to love God, to love our work, or one another, be it husbands, wives, or anyone else besides ourselves. But for now, it won't spoil anything to remind ourselves of what a Savior we have in Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, we have in Jesus one who loved God, who loved his work, his messianic work, and who loved his fellow man perfectly and who died on the cross, calling each of us uh, to cast ourselves uh, upon him in our miserable sin and failure and in our unhappiness and ask him to save us and give us new hearts and, and, and give us a desire to purpose, uh, even in some small way, to succeed in loving God and loving our work and loving our wives, our husbands, our neighbors as ourselves. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this very um, uh, formative passage of Scripture. Uh, Lord, it is oozing with um, information for us. Uh, it is your word. It is truth. And we uh, trust it. And we recognize the wisdom of it. Lord, we, we see how it explains so many things as they are and how they should be. And we bless you for it. We do pray that we would be a people well satisfied with loving you and with loving our work and, and loving one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>